Hey everybody, welcome to the Catholic Influencers Podcast. A conversation to help Catholic influencers like you and me go deeper and further in influencing our world for Jesus. I'm your host, Father Rob Gallia. And I'm your co-host, Danny Sullivan. And today we look forward to talking to you about a little bit of a delicate topic, uh, topic which is sexual abuse and the Catholic Church. A very important topic, especially today. So this is our second attempt in doing this podcast. We recorded. Well, what happened the first time we did it, Father Rob? <laughs> well, we, we started recording this podcast and we got pretty much into the conversation and I realized I I didn't press the record button. Yeah, that is your, your one job. <laughs> no, you have lots of jobs. Yeah. But so, it's an important one. <laughs> an important one indeed. So um, we'll never know. We'll, we'll try and do this again. Yeah. But we've been talking uh, about a few interesting topics. Um, for example, tattoos and the Catholic Church, women in the church, gay people in the church, mm. divorce, annulment, and all these topics which are so important because people actually um, sometimes have a great misconception about all of these topics. Absolutely. I think in this podcast team, you're always like, let's let's do something controversial. And I'm like, let's not. But I think as we do more and more of these, I'm beginning to realize exactly how important it is. And especially when we get feedback from someone that it's affected, you're like, okay, it may not have been comfortable to do the research or record the conversation, but it's an important conversation that we have to have and that we get to share that. Absolutely. And like I get people, we get emails and I, I get a lot of people giving Feedback, for example, we had one mental health and people actually even showing up in the office to talk about the the subjects and because it has impacted the lives of people, but also um, things like tattoos and the church. I had got someone emailing me telling me, hey, I, I had no idea that the church would accept me after I had tattoos. And it's just crazy. So many misconceptions. And very often, you know, it's all this all started off with like six minute videos and mm. one minute videos, which very often cannot do it justice and it can be misinterpreted very often. Yeah, definitely. Cause there's so much, um, you know, in any topic that you talk about, but particularly these, you know, controversial ones or whatever it might be. And even, you know, a 20, 30 minute podcast isn't enough, but mm. it, it hopefully goes more in depth than what a one or six minute video would. Yes. And the purpose of this podcast, as, as we said in the introduction, is to, to help us grow in our faith. But also we get specialists on board. We interview people. So, for example, today I'm really excited about the person we have yeah. to interview. Um, he's actually my archbishop, the archbishop of Malta, Archbishop Shikuna. They say he has the smallest hands in Christendom. Oof. So you, you're the one who interviewed him. Did you see his hands? Yes. Yeah, so, well, I didn't pay attention to them. But what happened was a bit of context. I went to Malta for a nice relaxing holiday Mm. asked my boss if there was anyone I could you know have an interview with for the podcast while I was over there expecting like a childhood friend (laughs) or someone you went to uni with and you came back with what about the archbishop so I went over there got on the plane going oh my gosh like what do I say to him what do I do for the archbishop of Malta but he was very lovely but I didn't notice his hands yeah like it's very short and you you're you're pretty tall as well yeah I didn't stand up next to him for too long (laughs) probably while you were sitting down you were as tall as he was yeah it was 
worked well when we were sitting down. For Archbishop, if you're listening to this, we still love you. Yeah, and I'm sorry that I'm so tall. <laughs> but this is, um, he's a, a very important figure in the church. He's um, called upon by, by the Pope very often to deal with the worst abuse cases and even situations that have happened within the Catholic Church. Now, the thing is, we are in a place within the Catholic Church where sometimes it's because of all the abuse that has happened, it's almost um, embarrassing to be called Catholic. It's almost embarrassing. You know, I, I find it really difficult. Not embarrassing, but I find it difficult. You see, um, even as a priest, especially when the abuse cases started to come out here in Australia, mm. um, I got attacked, physically attacked twice, spat at once. I got um, attacked verbally. Um, also, I had a, um, a situation on a plane, for example, where someone um, decided they wanted to change their seat. They didn't want to sit next to me because I was a priest. Now, this has happened to me as a priest, and people hate the church, and so they hate the priesthood as well. But also, lay people, I cannot imagine the stories that must be out there of people who find it difficult and are attacked in their place of work and in their place of worship, you know? I just find it so courageous when Catholics at this time, we can openly say that we're Catholic because it is, it's not something you want, like oh, this is me personally, it's not something you want to do. You don't want to have to drop into a conversation that you're Catholic, especially when people are speaking about the abuse cases. It, yep. I think it requires a lot of courage from lay Catholics and priests as well. I think we have to pray for them because they are all, I guess, brushed you yeah. know, with the same uh, pain at the moment. Exactly. And it's the pain that we have that feeling betrayed by our mother church, by mm. the church that we love, by the people who were set there to, to run it, the people who were set there to, to um, represent it. Um, especially when it came to clerical sexual abuse, like yeah. uh, uh, sexual abuse of minors by priests, yeah. and which is horrible because even for me as a priest, you know, I became a priest because I want to give hope to people. I want to love people. I want to encourage people and help them reach their potential. And even for me as a priest to think that people would use the priesthood, would use the priesthood to actually um, take away the dignity of people, to destroy the lives of people. Um, it's just it's something so hard for me to fathom, to understand. And I think another thing that's hard to fathom is like, you know, we're as Catholics, um, as, you know, we love our, our church, but we're feeling all this pain and then trying to understand the pain that people ha that have been abused must feel. Mm. Like how does that even compare, you know, to what we're feeling in this hurt as well? So it is just something that where there's a lot of hurt, you know, around the world because of what, what the church has done, yes. what people in the church have done. And it is um, damage that will, will never bring us back to where we were. Mm. So the church has to change through the suffering, has to change through the pain, but also um, uh, hopefully it has brought us to our knees, to a place where we can reach out now to people and become an instrument of healing. Because even though the church has betrayed and people within the church have betrayed um, it, its own people, but at the same time, it still remains the bride of Christ. Yeah. And so that doesn't change that. Absolutely. But at the same time, the Right has to relearn how to walk, relearn how to love, relearn how to serve its people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it has been a conversation that I've had with a lot of friends, you know, like, why, why are we staying in this church? Like, what, what's the point? And I think that the conclusion we've all come to is that, yes, we're part of the Catholic Church, but we're not part of the Catholic Church because of our clergy, yeah. or because of the institution. Like, it is because of the head, and the head is Jesus. That's right. So, you know, if we want to be sanctified, if we want to be holy, that's why we're staying with something that is causing hurt. 
Yes. And like um, I've heard so many things, like even, for example, the apostles or people don't leave the church because of Judas. But at the same time, it was a Judas we trusted, you know, and, yeah. and we loved and we cared for. So um, it is painful. It's and there's nothing. Um, first and foremost, we must care and think about those who were abused yeah. and reach out to them. But also there was an, there's another layer to this abuse. You know, it's not only the abuse, but the covering up of that abuse. Yeah, you know, you think, how can we be part of a church that's shepherded by people that would abuse? But how can we be part of a church that's shepherded by people that would cover that up and not listen to the victims? Like it's, yes. there's so many layers of why did that happen? It's and- like a, a systemic um, evil. So mm. throughout the whole, somehow, many parts of the institution, it's just, and so it, it, it hurts. And the more that comes out, the more painful it is. Absolutely. And recently there have been possibly maybe three um, or four places um, that that have really that look there's been abuse everywhere but two three I think four major blows and that the first blow came in Ireland when the um, the abuse came out and uh, in fact now Ireland which was one of the most Catholic countries in the world now is just the one of the most secular one of the most anti-church but also there was, um, even in our home country of Australia, there's a royal commission that has come out to investigate the church and, and realizing how far and wide and vast it has been. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has impacted us. And then recently we have Cardinal Pell as well, who's um, the most senior clergy, you can call him, is yeah. our cardinal, the only cardinal um, in Australia. And he's currently in prison as well, found guilty of sexual abuse. Now, whether um, the, the actual, only God knows the guilt non-guilt but the same the situation is that people are betrayed feel betrayed by mm. the church and uh, there's the american one like um w- where there was an, another um mccarrick mccarrick mm. who was found guilty and then eventually the church acted for the first time and laicized the cardinal i have a question about that so yeah. laicizing means that he was stripped of his Authority. Authority to like minister yes. in the public, but yeah. he's still a priest. He will always be a priest yeah. because a priest is, you're a priest forever. Mm. Okay. But you, he's not allowed to exercise his priesthood here on earth. Yeah. Okay. Why is it that he was laicized, but then um, just we spoke to of Cardinal Powell, for example, he hasn't been, is there? Well, so there's the investigation that is done by the state. Okay, so that's what happened to Cardinal Pell. He was found guilty by the state, but um, um, the church will not lay aside by by the plea of the the state. He, they have to have their own investigation. Okay. And if they're found, if he's found guilty with their beyond the shadow of a doubt, then they are. So like McCarrick, it wasn't even it was an investigation done by the Vatican. Okay, and they found him beyond the shadow of a doubt guilty. That makes more sense because. That Vatican investigation is currently going on yes, for Cardinal for Pell. Cardinal Pell, that's yeah. right. So, um, and if that is found to be so, and then um, they might uh, act on it the same way. But and then there's also another uh, situation um, in Chile, and this is where our guest comes in. You know, um, but this is it's interesting because you see the. It was so horrible that, that what was happened in, in, in Chile, thousands and thousands of kids abused and, and it was just so covered up. And there was, um, 
a situation where the Chilean bishops um, were, were found guilty and people were saying guilty. But then Pope Francis comes in and says, no, hey, stop accusing the, these bishops. You have no... He defended he defended the, the evil in a sense because he didn't know. But then they, he kept hearing things and thinking, wait, hold on. Um, the people might be right. And so what he did was he got this... He found this little, you know, good sense, this bulldog <laughs> of a of an archbishop, Bishop Shikluna, who used to be um, uh, Ratzinger when he was Cardinal Ratzinger. So he was Ratzinger's right-hand man um, and investigating when Ratzinger had held the position of, of the discipline within the church, so to speak. And then what happens is he sends him back to Chile. He says, hey, um, Archbishop Shikluna, um, can you, maybe they call him Charlie. I don't know what he calls <laughs> him. But he says, hey, can you go and investigate? So uh, he sends um, Archbishop Charles Shikluna to investigate. And then he finds, Archbishop Charles finds that they were guilty, that they were wrong um, about it. And so when they found that he was wrong, and then what they did was the Pope apologized and he said, I'm sorry. Um, I, I didn't listen to the lay people. I, I took the side of the clergy. And so that was a big lesson for the church. Yeah. And didn't fall. it like, was it 30 something bishops that handed in their resignation? Like yes. at once they all went to the Vatican. I think it was like 34. Yes. Um, bishops just, they all handed in their resignation at once when they realized that they were all wrong. So it was again another systemic, um, the bishops conference, um, were just corrupt. And so, and that was the biggest, blow in at least in the catholic church i think mm. there has been a lot of hurt um around the world because of this this crisis that has happened within the church but i guess over time as more of it comes to light the church is trying to make changes and something that happened earlier this year that was you know really positive and it is showing that the church is trying to bring light to such an awful situation is that there was a summit so it was a summit that was focused on preventing the sexual abuse of minors by clergy and about how we can protect young people and vulnerable adults. So it was called by Pope Francis in August of 2018. He said that this this summit was going to happen at the Vatican. And at this meeting, um, Pope Francis called all the presidents of the bishop conferences from around the world. And then they discussed what was happening. And it was quite a big summit. There was, you know, lots of different people involved, men and women. Mm -hmm. And they spoke about this and it was three days. So every day had a different focus, which, you know, when I was doing some research and, you know, learned about this summit, it was really interesting. So the first day was focused on responsibility. And a quote that came out of that from Pope Francis was that the holy people of God are watching and expect not just simple and obvious condemnations, but efficient and concrete measures to be established. And there was even 21 proposals that, you know, we, they were called to consider throughout the summit and going forward. So that was the first day all about responsibility of the church and members of the church to change what's been happening. Yes, so this was like a um, the summit is not it's, it's not a solution in itself. It's a, it was a plan. So people from say mm. Pope Francis thinking, hey, we need to do something. We need to do something practical. We mm -hmm. need to do something solid. But we need to do something universal. Yep. All of us and no one exempt. And so many people, in fact, thought Francis, Pope Francis, w was, uh, he got a lot of um, criticism for being weak, for not taking any action. But in actual fact, he's the one that has taken the most action out of all the popes. And he is he's, uh, sort of uh, no compromise. He's really coming down on 
um, on, on people who are um, endorsing or people who could even possibly be abusing. So this is the one, the three days focus on three, three things. The first thing, like you said, responsibility. Now we have to take responsibility for what we've done. It's we have done wrong. Stop denying that we've done mm-hmm. wrong. And your sin is also my sin because what you, what and you do also affects me. So that was the day one. Yeah, absolutely. And then day two, it was all focused on accountability. So making sure that there are legal procedures in place in every country in the Vatican, as well as, you know, I guess civil procedures. So not just within the church to make sure that these are investigated and found and dealt with appropriately. So there's mm. no more cover ups that can happen. Exactly. And so the, the, I think a key word would be like transparency, trying to make sure, making sure that, that nothing is hidden. And again, a transparency with the church, the hierarchy transparency with um, the state, the government, transparency with the whole world as well. Like, hey, um, I need to know what's going on yeah. and what the church is doing about it. So then that became the focus of the, the third and final day was exactly that father of transparency. So an archbishop that was present even admitted at the summit that his diocese had lost files of reports of mm. you know abuse on minors. So there's that transparency where the church is like, okay, there's no longer, you're not allowed to, you know, lose files Mm. or forget them. Everything has to be on the table in the open and reported and dealt with appropriately. So it went through that, the responsibility, then accountability, and it led to transparency. So everything is clear and visible. Yes. And like this has been, um, and we know cases where people have hidden files. In fact, like there was a raid, I think somewhere in the United States, I was reading that they raided a, a diocesan office. Um, they just went in, boom, without a warning, and they just um, there was a truck outside, and they took all the files to investigate. And this this is what is the state is um, reacting to a lack of transparency because of the lack of transparency. So now it's taking a proactive role. But now Pope Francis is saying, no, hey. This, we don't reach to the point where the state has to become the watchdog. Let us be the watchdogs. Let us make sure that there's no chance, uh, absolutely no chance of this ever happening again. Yeah, absolutely. And then the final, like at the end of the summit, there was a mass and Pope Francis addressed with this, I think it was about a half hour long address of what's come out of the summit and what to do moving forward. But because I'm proud of being Australian, one of our Australian archbishops, Mark Coleridge, he's the president of our bishops council. He was present at the closing mass and he addressed everyone there. And he said that the bishops and priests aren't going to act alone and they have to work with Mm. all people concerned for the good of young and the vulnerable and that this healing will all take time, but we don't have forever and we can't fail. And I think that really sums up like what this summit was like, yes, it was three days of discussion and planning, but it was also like concrete. This has to work. Mm. There is no chance of not doing this properly because we've failed people in the past as a church mm-hmm. and we have to stop that. That so, can never happen again. Exactly. There's no excuses. And I, I, from my experience as well, even working in the church now, the church is the safest place to be because there are so many rules, so many laws, so many um, things that cannot be done and that are, are, are done to protect minors. And I'm proud of that. We need to protect these minors and not even give the um, illusion or even the possibility of any of these things happening. And the, so this is, uh, and even the Archbishop Shikluna, I'm seeing here a quote from him. He's saying it's now at a very point in the church, in church policy, that abuse of minors is an enormous crime but it is also a cover-up and there is no going back. And that's so true. 
Yeah. It's not going back. That can never happen again. What's happened in the past, like going forward, you know, it, it's terrible to reflect on. It's a difficult time to be a Catholic, but I also think it's quite a hopeful time to be a Catholic because where generations have failed in the past, we now have the, I guess, the opportunity to just show the world what being Catholic is and we get to kind of change the future, even exactly. though we can't change the past. And this is what it's all about. Again, falling in love with Jesus again. And this is what has happened with the abuse because people have chosen to fall in love with power, to fall in love with security, to fall in love with their needs. Mm. But it is about Jesus. We need to come back to our, knee, our knees and, and fall in love with people again and to serve them and to give them hope. And I'm hoping this whole structural, again, systemic change will again force us to, to come back to serve people as they deserve to be served. Absolutely. And that, you know, that call again to service and that going onto our knees and praying for the church and for victims and just everyone involved in this is something that Archbishop Shakluna talks about. So we'll go into that interview now. Um, so this is recorded in his office in Malta. He was so busy, but he took the time because, he, you know, he's very passionate about this. He wants to see change. He's doing everything he can to do these investigations thoroughly so that the church can go forward. So we'll go into that interview now. with Archbishop Shikluna. He's the Archbishop of Malta. And I was just wondering, Archbishop, if you could just share a bit about your role um, as Archbishop, but then also with the sexual abuse crisis and investigations in the church. First of all, thank you very much for visiting. Um, And I would like also to uh, bring a special greeting to all those who will be listening in. I am Archbishop of Malta since uh, 2015. It is a privilege to be a shepherd to a community that has roots in Christianity for 2,000 years. Um, And I would like to pay a tribute to so many good priests, religious and uh, lay people who have witnessed the Christian faith on the islands of St. Paul since the Apostle of the Gentiles was shipwrecked on these islands and through the healing power of Jesus Christ could bring us the gospel of truth. And I think that to talk about sexual abuse of minors by clergy, we need also to understand that we are talking about an egregious crime and that wounds that are only physical and psychological, they are also spiritual. There is a spiritual harm that is inflicted on innocent victims. And this is an egregious crime because it was also a betrayal of sacred trust. Um, I was appointed on the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith as promoter of justice, which is uh, means actually being chief investigator for cases reserved to the Holy See, including sexual abuse of minors committed by clergy. And I, I was on this row for 10 years, from 2002 to 2012, and then I was sent to Malta as an auxiliary bishop. Um, I have been called by the Holy Father to uh, continue on some important missions doing investigations mandated by the Holy Father. The experience 
um, of meeting victims who have been impacted so negatively by sexual abuse is always a very difficult um, experience. It it is um, distressful, um, but nothing in compared to the uh, suffering these people endure. And I am actually quite impressed by uh, the new law promulgated by Pope Francis on the 7th of May 2019, a law which will enter into force on the 1st of June 2019, which actually mandates care for persons who have been impacted, harmed by sexual misconduct committed by clergy. And the Pope says that these people have been harmed together with their families, are to be treated with dignity and respect. And then he, he goes on, he said, in particular, they are to be welcomed, listened to and supported. They should be also offered spiritual assistance, offered medical assistance, including therapeutic and psychological assistance, as required by the specific case. I think that this openness um, is essential to the Christian community, because the Christian community is the family of believers. It is not only an inclusive family, it is also a family that takes care of people who are sick, who are suffering. This is what the Pope wanted to tell the people of God in August 2018, when he approached the um, phenomenon, the sad phenomenon of sexual abuse in the church as an element of an abusive culture, a culture that puts leadership on a pedestal, whereas we should be servants, ministers. We should be going around washing the feet, as Jesus told us. As I have done, you should be doing uh, to each other. And this spirit of service will save stewardship in the church because it is, is not about prestige. It is not about power. It is not about uh authority over others. It is about service. The authority of the preacher comes from witness. It does not come from a former role he has. It's true that we have sacred orders, but we are consecrated to God in order to be of service. And and the more we speak about the theology of ministry and the stewardship, the more we realize what a betrayal is when what should be of service becomes an occasion of abuse. Um, on my different investigations, I realized that there were deficits in the moral commitment of perpetrators, um, but there was also, at times, a tragic lack of faith. Because at the end of the day, we will approach our people with respect and dignity to the extent that we believe that they have been purified and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. At a great price have you been redeemed, as Peter says in, in his letter. Um, and I think that realizing how precious the flock is to Jesus, because he calls it his own, then you realize 
that the dignity of the flock means that the shepherd should be very, very careful how to treat his brothers and sisters. And another thing that I have learned from my role as an investigator and now as a bishop is that we really need to be on our knees to pray, to pray for forgiveness, but also to pray for the gift of fidelity, fidelity to our vocation, fidelity to our flock. And when I pray for vocations to the priesthood and the religious life nowadays, I understand why the church not only prays for vocations, but prays for holy vocations. Mm. Holiness doesn't mean that we are not sinners, but that we rely on the mercy of God to be faithful. That we realize that our fidelity is not something that we bring from our bravado, but that is it is a gift of God's grace. And if we are humble enough to recognize that we are sinners that have been forgiven and then called to be of service, then there will be no justification in our minds or in our hearts to be abusive to our brothers and sisters. Because sexual abuse is also linked to abuse in general, abuse of power, abuse of conscience, abuse of authority. And let us pray that people who listen would, would join in a humble prayer that the stewards of God's church be faithful to their calling and that the people of God are always empowered to denounce sin but also to pray for holy vocations. That's really beautiful and, you know, it gives a, a wonderful insight into the, the work that you've, you're doing, these investigations, but also, you know, the journey that you've been on through this role. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about as faithful, ordinary lay Catholics, this is this crisis has shaken the faith of many. What advice would you have just for lay Catholics around the world for how they can, I guess, weather this storm that we're all going through at the moment? First of all, I think as the Pope says in the more recent law, Vosestis Lux Mundi, you are the light of the church. We need to definitely pass from a culture of silence to a culture of disclosure. Faithful around the church need to feel empowered to denounce crime and sin, especially abuse of minors for what it is an egregious betrayal of sacred trust. They need to denounce it, and they need to hunger for that justice. That means also that perpetrators face the consequence of their crimes. But the people of God need also to expect and help the church become an example of best practice because it does not only take the stewardship of the shepherds to deliver on that. It is a whole community that will make the church the safe place it should be for all minors, young people and vulnerable adults. And so as the Pope says in his letter to the people of God from August 2018, this concerns every one of us all over the world. So my simple word is take courage, never lose hope, do your bit because every 
effort is precious and every bit counts. Thank you so much for your time today, Archbishop. We'll definitely um, take from this a lot. You know, we'll take that courage and we'll be on our knees praying for everyone that has gone through abuse and is suffering and has those physical, emotional and spiritual wounds. So thank you for your time. I know that you're very busy. We're currently sitting at a desk that is full of piles of a lot of work. So thank you for being able to fit this in. We're really honoured and we'll be praying for you and your role and these investigations and the Archdiocese of Malta as well. Thank you so much for visiting. God bless. God bless. Thank you for joining us today on the Catholic Influences Podcast. We love hearing your feedback, so please get in touch with us at frgministry.com forward slash podcast or any of our FRG Ministry social media, so Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this podcast on any of them. Please join us in just going onto our knees and praying for all the victims of this awful crime that has damaged so many lives. And we pray for healing of the church as well moving forward, that we can learn from our mistakes, from our awful past, and go to a place of hope and love again. So thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.